0: Join me today for an interview with Abby of Abby Glass, an amazing women's wear designer based in Atlanta. I have a few of her pieces and love the quality, attention to detail, and uniqueness, and I know you guys will too. After you're done listening, be sure and check out thepreppypodcast.com to shop the merchandise, including the very popular prep sweatshirt, fun sneakers, and more. And if you're an influencer, check out my virtual course on pitching called Pitch, Peak, Profit, now available on peakedpr.com. Now, let's get into the interview. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do?
1: Uh, My name is Abby Glass, and I um, am in Atlanta, Georgia. I own a women's clothing brand um, called Abbey Glass, and um, we focus on women's tailoring and um, really bringing women confidence when they get dressed up. That's our goal.
0: Definitely, and your pieces are beautiful. I have one of your Thank dresses, you. and I <laughs> love it. It's the detail and the quality and the touch of femininity. Like It's just beautiful. Thank you. So, tell me a little bit about then growing up at first like were you always into design and you know creating dresses for your dolls or interested in fashion <laughs> um or entrepreneurial like was any of that part of you growing up?
1: Yes, so um I was very entrepreneurial growing up, and um it's ironic because both of my parents are not entrepreneurs, they're both doctors, and <laughs> um very much kind of like went in the direction that was you know demanded of their profession and you know got all their degrees and did all their residencies and so um they looked at me like where did you come from you must not be our child <laughs> um and i was i would say like all of my energy um as a kid like when you're in the car or going on car trips we would like drive up to Sullivan's Island or you know go you know to the beach up in Maine we basically like had all these car rides and I would draw dresses you know for 8 hours on end um and I I used to lug my sewing machine up to our summer house um in Maine I would take it on the airplane once we moved to Georgia um and you know TSA was like what you know, like, what is this? And then they would see it in the X ray and it was a sewing machine and, you know, one person out of like fifty would be like, Oh my God, my grandma has one of those. And they would like come up to me <laughs> and, you know, say, Oh my gosh, like do you sew? And, you know, I was like, you know, twelve years old and I would start talking to some lady about her grandma. So um <laughs> it was always something that just I could not shake. It was something that like really like intrigued me. I you know, really love the craftsmanship. Um, I love the fabric. I loved sketching, and it, I, I wasn't really um, like a fashion magazine girl per se. I didn't, yeah. um, I wasn't like following trends until I was probably like 16 or 17, um, where I got my first official. And um, I was just, you know, obsessed with runway and all the details and you could really kind of get that, um, tactile, you know, uh, quality from the photos. Like you could tell like what a jacquard was or like how Mm -hmm. something was pleated. Or I think once I got more sophisticated in how I was, um, sewing and and sketching, I got really interested in designer fashion. So, um, so it was definitely, you know, process from like the age of eight years old to all the way up to kind of like my teens. And when I decided to go to design school, um, but I did also, um, sew and sell purses and belts when I was in like sixth and seventh grade (laughs) to all the little fashionistas in my, um, class and some of them still have them and they'll like Facebook message me or like text me randomly like over Christmas and be like oh my god I was home visiting my parents for Christmas and I like found this bag that you made me when we were like 12 and I still love it yeah it's like it's really kind of amazing (laughs) Um, people that kind of reach out and like still have things that they bought from me.
0: You need to um, share those on social media, sure of, like your first designs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it's pretty funny. And I, I used to go to the, um, like upholstery fabric stores, like the interior stores. Cause they always had like the most amazing silks and like the mm-hmm. ladies there knew me and they would give me like all the remnants and all kinds of stuff. And I would like save up my allowance to go like buy fabric. It was, I mean, it's pretty funny now looking back, I'm like, what little kid, does that, but, um, I guess it all makes sense now. So
0: (laughs) that's so fun. So now tell me about design school. Then you said, you know, Mm -hmm. that you went to design school. So where and what exactly did you study there and how was your experience? So
1: I first moved to London after I graduated from high school. Um, and I went to central St. Martin's, Mm -hmm. um, actually, I was heavily persuaded by um, a, a friend of a friend that I met up for coffee with who then, you know, lived in Atlanta or his parents still lived here. Um, he's now the creative director at Carolina Herrera. His name wow. is Wes Gordon. Yeah. And um, so Wes went to uh, Love It, I think, which is in Atlanta, and his sister went to Paidea, which is a school I went to, and we had a few friends in common, and he was- very, very excited to meet me because I was looking at central St. Martin's and, um, you know, pretty much convinced me that if I could go anywhere and if I could get in there, I should go. Okay. So of course I applied, I got in and I, I took night classes at SCAD, um, because I was actually in music in school. Cause who knows why? I just loved classical music. So I was in orchestra. And so, um, I started taking night classes. I had made this portfolio. Um, I ended up getting into the school in London where Wes went and he said, you should come. Don't even think twice, you know, I'll, I'll show you the ropes. So I moved to London. Um, he was like a, a really great friend and mentor to me. Um, and, uh, I ended up having another friend who was at RISD um, and kind of gave me the same, <laughs> I'm obviously very influenced by other people, but kind of gave me that same <laughs> spiel, which is like, Abby, like, you'll regret if you don't come here. Like, this is so you, um, I, you know, like I know what kind of makes you tick. You have to check this school out. I think you would really be happy here. And I had told him, you know, my parents, really miss me and want me to come back to the United States. Yeah. Like they thought this was maybe like a temporary thing. So they're they were trying every method um to try and get me to move back to the US. Um so I ended up applying to RISD while I was um in school in London and ended up getting in. So I I moved back to the United States. I actually moved to Providence site unseen. Um, <laughs> and just kind of like trusted my gut um, from what I had heard um, from my friend Pablo. And then um, I just absolutely loved it. And I think the one thing that was missing for me in London was the, um, the academic side of this. Um, You know, there are a lot of entrepreneurial people that go to art school, Mm -hmm. but I would say like the way European education works is like, everything's very focused. So there wasn't, you know, like, uh, business school opportunities. They weren't teaching you economics. They, you know, mm-hmm. it was really, you know, all about connections and families and, um, you know, like who you knew and, and that kind of placed you in the job that you would be in and okay. kind of would take you down the path. Um, so moving back to the U.S., I kind of pivoted back to like a more American education, which is very focused on being well-rounded and, mm-hmm um you know like even if you go to art school you have like you know required humanities or history and i think i was always kind of a mixed right and left brain person and um and that education just like really um allowed me to realize my potential and understand like what i could do with my career and um you know introduced me to opportunities Um, that could, I could use both sides of my brain for, so, um, that was amazing. I got to, um, take classes at Brown also. They have a dual degree program. Um, so you can do five years if you want to. I ended up just doing four years and getting my degree at RISD. Um, but I took, um, economics and entrepreneurship and new ventures at Brown. Wow. And that was like a really cool mix to where I was, kind of getting all of the things that I wanted to get out of my education, um, and allowing me to, you know, at least have like a foundation, foundation, um, to start my own business, um, after I graduated. So that was kind of my educational journey. And I look back again and say, how could I have taken all of these risks?
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, like now
1: I'm so like risk averse, um, I think it comes with age or just with, you know, experience. But yeah, um, yeah, I was totally fearless. And I I definitely encourage people to have those moments of their life because I, I really just don't think you get anywhere without, you know, taking those risks. And if you can be in the moment when you make those decisions and not think about what if this doesn't work out, then I think it's like having that positive mentality and like uh, you know, one of my mentors always says, you have to play to win. And I think there's um, something to be said about that in just like decisions in general. So
0: Definitely. And it sounds like, you know, trusting your gut a little bit and like trying things out. I always say that even, Mm -hmm. you know, to my interns to Mm -hmm. go intern like at a huge company and then a smaller, like you have to try it to know where you fit in and where you thrive. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, you know, at the end of your your college and school career then you found a great fit where it gave you, you know, the business and the design side and set you up for Mm -hmm. success for owning your own business now today
1: hmm Yeah. And there's definitely a lot of non-traditional education along the way. And that's for other yeah. people looking to start businesses or in the midst of starting a business. Um, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> schooling that you go through that's, you don't, you don't pay a uh, tuition for, but yeah. you pay for in mistakes and, um, you know, uh, testing things out that made it work. So you just have to look at everything as an education, even beyond
0: school. Definitely. So now right after school, is that when you started your own design business or did you do something else between then? Like, Tell me about that journey next.
1: So I did have kind of an unorthodox um, journey starting my business. <laughs> so I I um, did two paid internships in New York during semesters of school okay. um in New York. So um I had two really amazing bosses. Um I just got super lucky with my internships and um you know I ended up leaving basically you know with a an open door to come back to one of the companies in New York and I, I came back to Atlanta for the summer and, um, I had just finished, uh, the Supima design competition, which was part of Mercedes Benz fashion week, which is no longer, and, um, had a good amount of press for that. And when you moved back to Atlanta or any, you know, like I think Southern city after, you know, having an, even like an ounce of success in New York, everyone's like all over you. And, um, I had a lot of um, women asking me to make them dresses for, you know, the Swan ball or the, you know, some gala or some fundraiser. And I was, I was definitely more focused on evening wear, um, Mm -hmm. back then. And I was totally into it. It was, um, you know, I had all the skills to make everything myself. I'm, you know, trained pattern maker and sewer, Um, I had a lot of experience with dyeing fabrics. Um, so these were like art projects, um, for me and it was really cool. And I set up like a little studio in my, um, then boyfriend's apartment. He had a two bedroom and it was just us. So I, I opened, set up a little studio and started making one-off dresses. And, um, I had every intention of moving, uh, back to New York and taking a job at a, a, you know, like a corporate company. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause I, I, really did enjoy it and I, I loved the people that I worked with and I could see myself really thriving. Um, but this kind of was calling my name and, um, people were willing to give me money <laughs> to do this. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that seems like a good deal. Um, so I kind of just took these commissions on one at a time. Um, I started freelancing at um, the Mashburns right when, um, Ann Mashburn was starting her brand and they were hiring a designer. So, um, I was helping out a little, I think they didn't quite like need me yet. So I was, I was in and out for about nine months and then, um, and then they kind of realized that I was too expensive for <laughs> what they were, what they needed, which has happened to me before. Um. And so I, you know, once um, that, once they didn't need me anymore, I I worked for actually a wedding florist um, who actually did my wedding a few weeks ago. So this was something she was looking forward to for a very long time. She's incredibly talented. um, And she has a store in Virginia Highlands and I kind of helped her set up her business and um, build out her retail store. That was A really fun project for me. And all along, I was making dresses one off for women. Um, And as I continued to make a little bit of money, I opened a studio on Bennett Street in Atlanta. Um, uh, I was renting, you know, a small office from a jewelry import company. So they were like, had like boxes and boxes of cheap jewelry everywhere. And then he'd walk (laughs) into my little room and it was like all of this fabric and dresses and people like customers would come in there and just be like, where am I? It was, (laughs) I mean, I'm just like floored that people would come spend like a few thousand dollars with me in like a crazy small
0: environment. Yeah. Yeah, I was like,
1: this is so like anti our retail store now, which is like in the (laughs) shops at Buckhead and it's all fancy. And we try and make everything like, you know, super perfect. And I'm just like, yeah, it's kind of an interesting, um, you know, contrast, (laughs) um, you know, what customers really want. They kind of want authenticity. So wherever that is, they'll come to you. Um, so that was kind of my, uh, experience kind of ramping up into realizing that I wanted to do this for my job um so I really kind of had a few little odd jobs and um and contract work uh until I could really say that this was a viable um trajectory for me and mm-hmm. um that I needed to hire help and then you know like I was really going to move forward with this.
0: Yep. No, that sounds that's so funny. I love your little story about where your first uh, showroom was. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So now, when you decided that you know you could make this happen and you were going to go all in, what were some mm-hmm. of the steps to sort of take it to the next level? Like, obviously, you've moved showrooms. Um, I'm sure you probably had to set up a website. Like, talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. about that. Like, diving in.
1: So I would say because I didn't have. Um, a business background and, you know, neither did my parents. A lot of what I did was, um, you know, live within my means because this wasn't like a tech startup where I was like, Hey, like I need a million dollars to start this business. Mm -hmm. You know, this is my customer. Um, This is how I'm going to market to them. These are my products. Like I was really, I would say still in like the educational phase when I started my business of, Feeling out like who I wanted to be as a designer, um, who I wanted to be as a as an entrepreneur. So I I took quite a few years to just explore my creativity and um, explore my customers and figure out what they wanted before I really knew what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I would say I didn't really dive in head first. I was you know, waiting waist deep for a while um, and trying to kind of find that happy medium between, you know, being a a purist as a designer and being commercially viable. I think that's something a lot of, you know, design forward companies struggle with is like, I want to make things that feel unique and um, authentic. And I want to have a really like clear point of view and, I want to be different but in in commercial fashion like you you really need to meet customers where they are and and push them a little further than they're comfortable with but you you know if you're not Gucci or Bottega Veneta or some legacy brand that has like all the marketing dollars in the world you, you're not going to be able to convince people that your way is better than theirs. Like that's just, (laughs) I mean, when you think about it, like the customer does come first and it's a luxury to be able to live outside of trends and live out, you know, and be the trend setter. Like those things, you know, I've realized after, you know, eight years, like those things are a luxury and they don't always come with a return on investment like mm-hmm. you know if i'm running if i want to have some crazy idea and i sell three of these dresses like that's not going to pay the bills you know so i think the the biggest learning curve was really figuring out like how can i be commercial but also be unique and i think yeah. that's something a lot of people struggle with um I mean, if someone comes into the market with, like, they're making coffee mugs, like, it's not hard to be commercial. But <laughs> with clothing, I mean, you can really take things to, you know, an extreme or you can take things to, like, a very, very commercial. Like, you could be a Lily Pulitzer. Like, there's not much to understand about that. It's just, do mm-hmm. you like it or do you not? So, yeah. um, or do you want to, like, live that lifestyle? So um, So, I think all of those things – continued to refine over the years. And um, I would say like about probably three years ago is when we really like went full throttle and said, we know exactly where we fit in. People are loving our product. Our prices are great. Our margins are great. Our factories are great. Like there's so much to align when you manufacture Mm -hmm. because you want to deliver what people think they're getting like you want them to be pleasantly surprised and and delighted when they get their package and they're like oh my god this is even prettier in person like you don't want the other way around where (laughs) you know I've ordered dresses from some brands that I'm like I don't understand why this brand is so trendy right now and you order it and you're like expecting to get something where you're like oh now I get it like this is amazing and you get it and you're just like yeah this looks really cheap like I'm not feeling like the fits off I'm not the fabric's cheap. Like, I just don't get, you know, why this brand is blowing up. So we want to like have everything to make people really become lifetime customers. Like we want people to buy something and love it and then come back to us and buy more and, um, and not just be like that one-off, like, you know, trendy product. Um,
0: Definitely.
1: yeah. So that's kind of how I've, I We justified like really diving in. And I think also um, people are very important to growing a business. I, mm-hmm. Potentially um, the hardest part about it. And I have some friends who've had amazing companies with amazing product with huge potential. And they did not want to continue to look for people. And that was like the defining factor of like... Can I grow? Can I not grow? If I grow, I need people. I need to hire people. I need to, you know, like manage people. And um, it's just not um, what you expect when you say you're going to be a designer that you're, you know, dealing with people all day and yeah. not dresses <laughs> or not handbags or shoes or whatever you love. So I think that's um, also the defining factor of like of growth and knowing that you want to grow is that you feel like you can. Um, you can lead um, a group of people and 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 take them with you on your journey to success rather than just yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes perfect sense then yeah I, probably a lot of people don't think about that. It's like, oh, I want to be a designer and I just want to make beautiful things, but it's like no, eventually you're gonna have to manage a team or you're gonna have to manage mm-hmm. you know your manufacturer and make sure everything's running smoothly and then obviously mm-hmm. communicate with your customers so it's a lot of a lot of people it's a people business <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a people business, but that's those are the people that we want even our customers are people, and we want yep. them to be happy and we we want to put them first and that's also a lot, you know, the more you grow, that's more and more people. (laughs) So
0: exactly. So now describe to the listeners, your brand today, like how would you sum it up and describe what you are today and what you offer?
1: So we focus on offering women solutions for their special occasions. So we're really focusing into, Um, our assortment being, um, things that you would buy to wear to a wedding or to, uh, you know, brunch or a baby shower or something, some special occasion that's happening in your life, small or large, Mm -hmm. and, um, something special that, um, you feel really confident in that you can, you know, feel a little more dressed up than your everyday look. Um, so, that moment of women's lives is really what we're focusing on and the customer that we're really focusing on is women who are busy and don't work in fashion and don't shop all day and don't really know what they look good in that need kind of like a little bit of help. So mm-hmm. we want to be the approachable luxury um solution to those women because they still love nice things, but they're, you know, they have a limited amount of time to spend on shopping and they want someone they can trust to, um, tell them what's, (laughs) what's fashionable, what looks good on them, what's appropriate for this type of occasion. And we're actually, um, building out a digital platform that can help women with that. Exactly. Um, which is very exciting. So that's kind of the next phase for us is, um, is this focus into, um, special occasion and helping women get dressed. So, um, as a brand, um, I would say we focus on effortless confidence for every occasion. It's really about giving women that feeling of, oh good, I have this checked off my list and I'm not. I don't just have a dress. I have like a whole look and I know that I'm going to show up feeling appropriate and even, um, you know, a little more fashion forward than probably everyone else here. Um, but I'm not going to feel uncomfortable. Like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Cause I'm wearing something with like a gigantic ruffle, you know, that's like oversized. I'm not making a statement. I'm, I'm really kind of showing up as my best self and um, something that's more exciting than the other things I have in my closet.
0: Definitely. So now speaking of customers, how have you been reaching them? Like what would you say is your greatest marketing tool? That is such a great question. And that's something
1: (laughs) that I ask a lot of other people. Um, Right now we are – still an omni-channel business. So we still have our wholesale division. We have our e-commerce. We have our store. Um, So there's customer communication and acquisition in all of those places. Um, And I think our success in the future is to refine that into only a few very successful versions of that (laughs) because right now I feel like we're communicating in so many different ways and it'd be great to just kind of hone in on what's working the best um right now our our biggest ROI is in email actually um we have very loyal customers so we have a very high return customer rate and um a lot of those customers are shopping through email um Pinterest has been a really good resource for us. It's relatively new. Um, So that's been a really great way to reach new customers. Um, And then I would say our, our stores are really good um, outlet for people to see and touch and feel um, and get connected with our product. Um, because everything is so digital right now I think it's very refreshing for somebody to walk in and us to say oh have you shopped with us before and they say no I have no idea what this is but this is amazing like why don't I know about this brand Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a very rewarding customer touch point when you again like are um, you know like impressing a customer with the price point um, based on how amazing our quality is, based on that we're a local female-owned business, you know, like all of those things kind of piece together to really delighting our customer and making them say, wow, I'm so glad I
0: found you. Definitely. Now, I love how you mentioned that right now, the best ROI is email because I always tell everyone and my clients like social media following great, but you don't own that. So I love mm-hmm. how you mentioned email marketing. Like I think so many more mm-hmm. businesses should be putting more time into their email marketing too.
1: Yes. And we actually just, I just had this conversation with my husband yesterday who works at a tech company because it's really nice to bounce things off of people who are not in fashion because it's yeah. not all about, beautiful dresses it's like you know the bottom line is if you own a business you need to be able to grow and Mm -hmm. um and and get more customers and and understand like how your um how your different touch points are giving back to you and um we were going through like should we invest in bringing this new email person Mm -hmm. on because it's not cheap to you know hire a new person um we really need help with email. Um, and you know, should we be spending that money elsewhere? And I think it's always, I always forget to say like, okay, could we be spending that money elsewhere? So like, Mm -hmm. yes, we need help with email, but, um, you know, should we just put that, you know, X thousand dollars into ads? And the answer is no. Like everyone thinks like the more you spend on ads, the better. And it's, there's, you know, there's so many things that we don't have control of, like the iOS updates and, you know, all these security things that if you put too many eggs in one basket, um, you, you may like really suffer, um, for no reason. Um, and I think our digital ads company that we work with is really smart because, you know, right when we signed on with them, it was right before the iOS update. It was happening in like four months and they diversified all of our ad spend across so many different uh, digital platforms uh, Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on Instagram, Facebook. So we didn't really feel the hit when the iOS update happened because we were diversified yeah um, and I think that's really important that is makes to, perfect like, sense really have <laughs> have all of your eggs in different baskets because it's as a small business like we don't we really don't have control over what happens um with these platforms, so we have to make sure we're all of our um, all of our efforts aren't going into one place.
0: Definitely. Um, now, what would you say has been your greatest success, or what's something you're really proud of mm-hmm. that you've achieved with your business? Like, I saw you were in Southern Living magazine. Like, is it that, or what? What are you really <laughs> excited for and proud of?
1: Yeah, that was that's very exciting. Um, we're doing a pop up shop with Southern Living in Charleston for Christmas, so that's oh. gonna be very fun. Um, I would say, honestly being in business after COVID and having such a fantastic rebound, um, is probably my greatest success because it was what I saw as my greatest failure, you know, during COVID, I was like, oh my gosh, like, why can't I pivot? Like, why can't we quickly launch a mask company? Like, why can't, you know, I had like our CFO who's a fractional, um, position. So he works with, you know, 15 other brands was like telling me about all of these amazing, you know, wins that his other companies have had and how they're doing millions of dollars in masks. And I was just like, honestly, like feeling like such a failure because I was not doing that because I just Mm -hmm. didn't have the energy. And I did not even like, I was like, this is not me. Like, I can't put my effort behind this because like, it is just not, what I want to do with my life. And it's not worth all of the effort to like launch athleisure or like, it's just, I, I take so much care with the products that we make. I was like, I can't just like whip something up. I'm like, not going to okay. do that. Yeah. Um, it's
0: so not organic.
1: That, yeah. It, it Anyway. So I think coming back after being at that low to where I was like, is this everything that I have built um, going down the drain and like, really like not giving up and, and finding like all of the ways to connect with our customers and provide value to them when, you know, seemingly we had no value in the market. I think that was the hardest like year for me, but it was definitely looking back, like I'm the most proud of myself for, for that. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these other wins that I'm proud of are, are great, but they're not in any way like as challenging as, as what Mm I overcame to, to kind of like come back to life and like give this another shot. So, um, so yeah, I think that is like the most, um, the, the thing I'm most proud of. The other thing I think was, um, uh going through this year-long fellowship with the Tory Birch Foundation over over COVID, which was oh. like the hugest blessing I have ever had. It was basically like a year of business school, um, you know, funded by them, and they gave every business a grant that um that they took in, and it's gonna be a, a lifelong network that I have. And I think mm-hmm. um applying to that and being chosen as one of their companies, um, that they really kind of invested in was a huge, just win for me. It was, it was like a career goal for me to be a part of this group. It was something I really needed. And, um, I definitely did not think I was going to, to get into it because it was, yeah, it just was very competitive. So I think that was also my greatest success was to like to To put myself out there to be a part of this, even if, if I wasn't sure that I would, you know, get in. So,
0: yeah. Oh risk. my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. I'm sure you learned so much during it and great timing with COVID at least. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, who would your dream customer be like if you could pick a celebrity or an influencer oh. or a royal or icon like who like would you love to see in your clothes? That
1: is a great question. Um, probably Jackie Onassis. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. (laughs) But, um, unfortunately that's not going to happen. Um, I'm trying to think of, um, I would say,
0: let me think on this for a second. Jackie O is a good one though.
1: Yeah. Jackie O, maybe Jennifer Garner would be a great, yes. she's like a classic, very like fun, um, you know, beautiful, successful woman. I mm-hmm. also, Michelle Obama has always been like a huge goal celeb for me. <laughs> um, just because she has like, she takes fashion risks, which I love, but she, she also has a classic, um, Look, so I just love how she can like style things um in a really fun way, even if she's wearing something super classic,
0: yep, and I can see Jackie o in one of your coats,
1: oh, for sure,
0: yeah. you know <laughs> yes, definitely, so since this is the preppy podcast, I always ask everyone like, what does preppy mean to you in these modern times? <laughs> Oh, um,
1: I think preppy, to me, still feels like the idea of this, like, prep school look. Um, and it almost reminds me of these old movies, Mm -hmm. um, where there's, like, even, like, Pretty in Pink or any of these, um, movies where it's like a really clear divide of like, who are the preppy kids? Who are the, (laughs) um, who are the grunge kids? Like, it's like that old school, like categorization of like, where do you fit in? Like, what's your, um, like, what's your vibe? Like, what's your click? And so I do think preppy still gives me that idea of, um, like the sweater around your neck with the polo or like the cable knit or the, um, you know, Ralph Lauren vibes from like the nineties. Um, -hmm. I still think that's preppy, but I also think that preppy has become more approachable, because of all of the cool things that are happening in fashion where you can have a woman with a shaved head who's mixed race wearing like you know a polo uniform with riding boots mm-hmm. and like so- something like very contradictory but it's so preppy and I love the idea that preppy can be for everyone now yeah. and um it is almost like a fashion choice rather than, um, just like a lifestyle where people are like, oh, I'm preppy because I have money or I'm preppy mm-hmm. because I'm privileged. Like I think preppy now is like more of a style choice that you can lean into and like use to like feel a certain way, like feel kind of like retro or feel kind of prim or feel, um, feel kind of buttoned up and it, it like evokes a feeling that is like far more um useful than just like denoting like Hi, I'm preppy because I have money, which I just hate. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and I think you just described it looked like um the cast of Gossip Girl, the new reboot. Oh my god, I'm like- <laughs>
1: Yeah. Actually one of my friends works does wardrobe for them. And I like I love her and she is so preppy, which is amazing. Like she grew up, she always was wearing like Travada and like all of these like very like preppy clothes. And I'm like, uh-huh. I love that she's doing wardrobe at Gossip Girl because it's like you could totally see that.
0: Yeah, but the main character, I mean, I feel like she's just how you described it. Like she's yeah. a little bit edgy, she's mixed race. Um she has a shaved head, but she's wearing these like cool oversized polos and like r- like with yes. sneakers and yeah, it's so fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a new spin on preppy. It's it's like the spiral staircase of fashion like went from like floor One to floor two, and it's just completely different (laughs) now. Totally, totally different. I love it.
0: So, what's your favorite piece right now on your site? Or I know you are coming out with fall soon. I don't know if that's on your (gasps) site right now. So, like, what what's your favorite piece right now of the moment?
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, so we have this amazing green organza group launching, and there's Mm. um, a dress we ran for a few seasons, that's one of our bestsellers called the Maya dress. It's this um, midi length tiered sleeveless dress. And um, uh, since we're, you know, this is our first collection focusing on special occasion. Um, we are doing these just really crazy, brightly colored organza pieces in all of these classic shapes. Um, and it's got this beautiful lame flower on it. And it's, it just feels so, it feels like vintage and fresh at the same time, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. and it feels dressy, but it's not, um, it's not overdone. Like it just feels very modern to me. And I, Kelly green is just like the color of the moment right now, um, or any green for that matter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very excited about the Maya and and Kelly green coming
0: out. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I have to keep an eye out for it. It
1: launches
0: next week.
1: So yes, it will be on the site very soon.
0: So my final question is where can people find you and shop your pieces? Let everyone know the social media handles, your website, um, all of that stuff. So everyone can follow along and shop.
1: So you can find our collection at um, abby-glass.com. You can just Google Abbey Glass. You'll find us online. Um, and uh, you can follow along on Instagram to see all of the new collection launching um, and a lot of behind-the-scenes content at Shop Abbey Glass. And um, my name's spelled with an E, like Downton Abbey. So mm. A-B-B-Y and Glass, like a window. Um, and you can find our collection at about 70 specialty retailers across the country. So, um, we don't sell to any, um, large department stores. It's all small, um, family owned boutiques in, you know, your favorite little town or city. So, um. If you look on our Instagram, you'll sometimes see our stores tagging. um, So you can see if there's a store in your city that carries our line.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Abby. I loved getting to know you and your brand more. um, And I'm so excited for this next collection. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.